1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/recommend today. Can still find ways Yes indeed. Good morning. I am joined by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Good morning, Mary. Always a pleasure to hear your voice.
2: Good morning, Denny. A pleasure to hear your voice as well. Happy almost end of January and a mild winter we're having.
1: We are indeed, and we're going to at least uh, this coming week, at least until Friday, and then things things get more, I I suppose, average as far as uh, temperature reading. Uh, We are in the midst of a winter weather advisory today, I should uh, remind our listeners, that goes until uh, 6 in the morning tomorrow. Uh, what, what does that mean? That means a slight chance of freezing drizzles mixed with maybe snow today, tonight, and a little bit tomorrow morning. But uh, no no comments, at least from our listeners yet, on, on uh, slippery roads as yet. But uh, stay tuned. That, that could change. If you're uh, new to the show, thanks for joining us. Uh, we call it Smart Garden, and we talk lawns and gardens. Thanks to friends like Mary Meyer, uh, who help you out each and every Saturday here on uh, WCCO, either by phone or by text. And before we get underway, let me give you that uh, number. It's the same number for either the phone call or the text from Mary. And keep in mind, as Mary knows, we get very busy uh, during this hour. 651-989-9226 for the phone call or the uh, text messages. And we always, of course, uh, and thanks, Mary, for you bringing us that information about that great resource we call the University of Minnesota Landscape Arboretum. What a great place. And it's great year-round, but just as much during the winter, isn't it?
2: Yes, there's lots to do at the Arboretum in the wintertime. We have walking trails. We have snowshoe trails and ski trails. So you do need to get a reservation, but there's lots of open times for reservations. On the website, you can easily see what days and hours are open to get uh, schedule your trip there. And then we have a winter uh, trail conditions page, so you can look up on a daily basis and see what are the trail conditions, how much snow is out there, so you know how to plan your visits. So, great resource and a really a great place to get some exercise uh, and be outside.
1: Boy, we'd like to have that these days, for sure, for those of us don't, who don't get out as much as we should, maybe. Uh, we have a bunch of text messages already, Mary, and uh, again, we welcome uh, others. But let's let's grab a couple here. Uh, here's one that says, my mother always told me never to root plant cuttings in a clear container that I should cover with foil or darkened glass, or else it won't successfully grow roots. Uh, the question is, is this true? Thank you for this wonderful show that comes from Pam.
2: Well, uh, it's more important what plant you're trying to root. Some are easier to root than others in water, and it's a short-term way of starting plants. So it doesn't really matter if the container is covered and light is excluded. That might reduce the amount of bacteria or the temperature that the water is while you're rooting plants. But the more important thing is that The kind of plant that you're trying to root, some things like our plants in the mint family, some of our herbs will root very easily in water and you'll see them put the roots out and then you can transplant them into something uh, that has soil. So uh, keeping the water fresh and changing the water so the bacteria doesn't build up so much, that's more important than whether or not you've got the container covered or not.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Uh, let's go to the phones, Mary. I think Jim is first up here calling from Osseo. Uh, Osio. Jim, you're on with Mary Meyer.
0: Good morning. I have two questions. Um I have a lake place up around Mora and uh it's a campground and uh I'm looking at reseeding and getting some ground cover. The uh site itself is large, has a lot of shade. Um burr oaks, big old grandfather bur oaks that are you know sixty, eight feet tall, lots of acorns come off. There's a lot of uh, hydro because uh, it's on the uh, side of a lake, so I get uh, water runoff just naturally with heavy rains that come through there. And I'm looking for, I've uh, tried uh, you know, low sunlight, shade, grass seed mixture and so forth to uh, recover the surface. I know out in California and desert areas they'll actually use creeping charlie as such, which I don't at all want to use because that stuff will never go away. It'll just spread into the Um, the grasses that are still successful in the non-shaded area but I'm wondering um, if you can recommend some sort of uh, foliage uh, that I can plant also bringing in I imagine a couple of trailer loads of black dirt giving a nice bed to uh, to anchor on and and then the second question is I have a silver maple and uh, I don't know if that's the one that has the whirlybird seeds that come down but um, a neighbor of mine uh, many, many years ago used to trim or top their trees. They actually bring them back to where they, the main trunks were only you know five or six feet from the uh, you know, I mean the first the first branches would come off and they they take them right down to that and then they grow a they uh, uh, they'd, they'd re shoot out and have kind of a nice uh, thick um, out, outbreak of uh, new branches and stuff which is a lot better than the the ones that uh, are the natural way the tree. Rose. So those two questions, I can uh, I can uh, hang up and listen on the on the yeah, phone or off.
1: very good, Jim. What do you think, Mary?
2: Okay, uh, thanks, Jim. So depending on how large the area is that you've got to cover under those oak trees. Um, I would certainly try what you can get yourself is shady lawn mixes. And these have to be a huge amount of fine fescues, usually. That fescues have the greatest tolerance for shade. But you have to read the label, and it will tell you on the label if there's a mixture of the fine fescues. So that's something you could buy at many garden center stores. And it will tell you on the label if there's a mixture of the fine fescues. So that's something you could buy at many garden center stores, and you could try that yourself to see how that goes. Um, if the area is really large and you've tried that, you don't think that's going to work. I would consider um, contracting with one of the native plant growers to actually come in and do what would be a shady mix for prairies, which would have existed under oak trees, Um before any uh, human intervention and there are shady mixes with uh, sedges and so on that they could come in and seed but neither of these are going to work unless you have exposed soil so that you can have good seed soil contact and i don't i, I don't really think you need to bring in more soil Unless there's a really a problem with lack of soil being there at all, what you you just need to have good seed soil contact. So if there's cover there or uh, debris or other things that's going to interfere with that seed soil contact, you you got to get got to deal with uh, that first. But there are a lot of plants that will work. Uh, woodland shady plants and many of our native plants will grow in a setting like that. And then the second thing with your silver maple, uh, what you're describing sounds to me like a major pruning event that is uh, kind of shocking for the tree. Um, it might, yes, withstand it and grow out of it, but that severe coppicing or pollarding to cut back mature trees like that is really a shock for the tree. So I would urge you to get... Um, an arborist to at least give you an opinion about pruning the tree. The silver maple is a tough tree; it can take a lot of abuse, and it does grow very quickly. But I would consult an arborist before I would do any uh, major pruning like that. And we have information on how on on selecting an arborist on our extension website, which is. Oh yes, yeah, which is EDU and then click on Garden, and you'll uh, you can put in the search engine uh, "hire an arborist," and that page will come up.
1: Excellent. Of course, we'll as you know, Mary, we'll mention that website from time to time during the show. Great, great resource. Uh, I want to alert Joyce in Minneapolis who'll be next on the phone here, and we'll grab some more text messages. It's the Smart Garden Show every Saturday in the eight o'clock hour here on News Talk eight three zero WCCO.
2: It for four years, and should I repot it? And what kind of a pot? Also, what direction does the orchid really like of sun? And is it a good idea to fertilize it? I have some Miracle Grow plant food mist. Um, Yes, Joyce, I think this is a a good time to repot it. You've had it for several years. It's still alive and doing well, so for you, that's great. Um, I would, if you don't have any potting soil um, there, I would go and look for some orchid potting soil. Now, orchid potting soil is different than most plants because orchids really are epiphytes. They are air plants, and they usually grow in a type of very coarse, bark mixture, so I would look for some recommended uh, soil that's going to look more like bark than it does soil to uh, pot it in. As far as kind of pot, um, orchids can be planted in plastic pots or clay pots. The clay pots are still the ones that most plants like best because they have a better oxygen exchange for the roots. I wouldn't plant it in a, in a pot a lot bigger than what you have, but an inch or two more in diameter is enough because orchids don't need to be in a huge pot. Um, and your last question was the fertilizer. Yes. Orchids will uh, produce flowers best when they do have some fertilizer. At this time of year, it doesn't have to be um, a lot. Uh, you can use a dilute fertilizer. Um, Every couple of weeks, in the especially through the winter time, and use a regular strength fertilizer in the summertime when it's more uh, actively growing.
1: All right, very good. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Here's a text, Mary says. How can I get my very healthy anthurium to bloom pink again?
2: Uh blooming anthurium, so. Uh, This is probably a lack of light. Oh, I just remembered. I forgot to tell Joyce as far as the exposure for light. Um, Orchids in the wintertime need quite a bit of light, so the south window could be okay. South, east, or west are the ones uh, really that are best. But with the Anthurium, I would really go for high light conditions with that in the southern uh, exposure, the south or west window where it would get a lot of light. So light and fertilizer usually are the limiting things when an indoor plant is not blooming. So as much light as possible, and then I would give that uh, dilute uh, fertilizer about every two weeks.
1: You're going to have to help me with this pronunciation, Mary. The texter says, I received a bromeliad as a gift. What do I need to know how to care for it?
2: Bromeliads, yes. This is another um, attractive houseplant. And a bromeliad is really, really a tough plant. Uh, It's usually very easy to grow, um, they can survive in low light conditions, but will do better in high light conditions. We have a lot of beautiful bromeliads um, at the conservatory at the arboretum and Como park i know there's they're they 're a traditional conservatory plant they have um, usually are a rosette of leaves. So they're mostly leaves and often colorful uh, leaves. So just really good light conditions uh, is the best thing. And not a lot of water. Bromeliads have got a big, thick leaf, and so they don't need water very often. Only when the soil is really dry to the touch should you water them and then water till it runs out the bottom of the pot.
1: Okay. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. Jean is calling in from Egan, I believe, This morning, Jean, you're on with Mary.
2: Hi. I know you spoke about this the last couple of weeks, but last week you gave um, a solution for the fungus flies, and I had gotten to the point where I had to repot all of my house plants, which I did, and I ran short of soil. The very last bag that I got was all wet, had been sitting out at the place I got it, and I think that's the one that produced the fungus flies. unfortunately. So I've been dealing with those ever since. But last uh, week, you mentioned putting uh, sand on top of the soil. And I didn't catch um, how, how much, if you said an inch or how much, and I went and looked on the website. I just couldn't find it there. Yes, Joyce, um, that putting sand on top of the soil is one of the, the uh remedies for fungus gnats, it doesn't have to be very much. It's about a half an inch on top of okay. the soil. That okay. is a deterrent for fungus gnats. Uh, there's sticky traps, and then there's a potato slice of the other things. But it really, I think you're exactly right. The high proportion of peat in some soil mixes is really... um a, a, a wonderful habitat for fungus gnats to grow. So the the high moisture soil mixes tend to encourage fungus gnat growth, and and the sand on top will prevent will kill a lot of those little larvae by just the abrasive nature of the silica sand crystals as they try to crawl uh, in and out.
1: Okay, very good. You know, we need to take our usual break here and and make way for uh, the forecast. Uh, so st- hang in there, Mary. We'll have another half hour of the show to go. We have callers. We have texters. Here's the same number for either, 651-989-9226. We'll be back with more Smart Garden on News Talk 830. WCCO, stay with us. And welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Danny Long here along with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. And uh, Mary, as usual, we have callers, a bunch of text messages as well to uh, keep us busy here the rest of the hour. Tell you what, let's, let's grab a phone call or two before we pick up on text messages. I think Sharon is calling in from Eden Prairie this morning. Thank you, Sharon. What is your question?
2: Oh, good morning. Love your show. Thank um, you. I have an old, old Christmas cactus. And it's like 24 by 24, and it blossomed. It was really good. But now I want to know if I can trim it and how much. Uh, Sharon, good for you with having that cactus and keeping it blooming so long. That's great. Um, You know, you you can do this, uh, but usually we don't need to or recommend it um christmas cactus will kind of lose some of its uh, little pads or foliage on its own and it is out at the tip of where the blooms are going to come but just after blooming you could if it's too big or for some reason you want to trim it you can trim it back um and that won't hurt it but um it's. I wouldn't do that if you're waiting and expecting it to bloom because then you'd be cutting off the uh, buds that are going to come out there. But if it's just bloomed and uh, you want to prune it, you can. Normally, you don't need to.
1: All right. Very good. Uh, Roger's next up on the phone calling from Dwell, Minnesota. And uh, quite honestly, Roger, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, is that town near Foley? Correct. In between St.
3: Cloud and Foley.
1: In between St. Cloud and Foley. All right, what can we do for you today?
3: Another Christmas cactus question. Okay. I purchased a couple and started them at uh, like four inch. I believe that they're still growing. Uh, I did get blooms on them last year. What should I be uh, fertilizing? How should I be watering? And I know that they like
2: dimmer lights, I think. Uh, well, actually, no, they like quite a bit of bright light and they will need bright light in order um, to flower. The most important thing with getting Christmas cactus uh, to flower is really the day length and the temperature. So cool conditions and short days will get them to flower. And um, they will do that year-round. If the temperatures are cool and, and in the 50s and 60s, that's what they like. And if you are in bright, sunny uh, a window. And fertilizing, yes, you can fertilize the Christmas cactus. And, again, in the winter, it's dilute. It's not as often every other week is a good uh recommendation in the winter time and then regularly once a week at least in the summertime when the plants are growing better. So but I would put them in the brightest light conditions you have. And we have some wonderful information, actually new information that's online about lighting and house plants. So this is a time of year, I think, Denny, when many of our listeners are looking at their houseplants as yes. the only thing green that they're seeing. <laughs> and so if you're interested in getting new houseplants or exactly understanding which ones take the most, need the most light, we have a wonderful new uh, publication on lighting for houseplants, and it's uh, got a lot of great recommendations um, that's there. So that's a new... Uh, new
1: addition to the website that's been updated. And that's uh, extension.umn.edu. And uh, we'll mention that again before Mary leaves us today. A texter says this, Mary, uh, got a small Meyer lemon tree in October. Late December, it started dropping leaves, then started to bloom. Still beautifully blooming, but dropping leaves. Have increased the humidity of the room. Fertilize regularly. Make sure it's not too wet. It's in a south window. The room also has east and west windows. Uh, afraid the blooms will use too much energy for the plant to make it. Anything I can do, maybe repot it, more light? What do you think? That comes from Natalie.
2: You know, Natalie, I would not worry about repotting it in the in the winter right now. Uh, and the reason it's dropping that foliage, it, it tends to do that because the plant was grown in a greenhouse, likely, where it developed all that foliage. And no matter what we do in our homes, we are not going to get a green, greenhouse light condition. Um, the best we can do is a south window. And if you have some other windows in that same room, that is great. It's an it's amazing how uh, the, the lemons, especially a tree like Meyer lemon, can support a fruit. The flower, then, and of course, the fruit will come after that with so few leaves it's it really is amazing but they're gonna they can do that with just a few and a small amount of leaves so i wouldn't worry uh the plant will partition off its food reserves and and kind of take care of itself if you just keep it in the brightest light possible and then i would maybe think about uh, potting it after a year repotting it But uh, I would just leave it in the container that it's in until the the first flowers and fruits come for you.
1: Okay, very good. Back to the phones we go, Mary. Larry is calling in, I believe, from Clearwater this morning. Larry, you're on with Mary Meyer.
2: Yes.
3: Hi, Mary. Um, I have two quick questions about our lake place near Clearwater. Last summer we had to put in a new well, and so we disturbed a lot of the soil. And I leveled it off. Partway and seeded that in, oh, in September, and then I could not get the rest of it seeded. Am I able to put some uh, spread seed over the snow?
2: Well, uh, it's it's risky to put it on top of very much snow. If, uh, oh. if there's like, I would say if there's less than two inches, yeah, you could do that. But otherwise, there's a chance that the seed will just wash off with the snow. The more snow there is, the less likely it's going to make that direct soil um, contact. So if we get to any point in the winter where there's open, then you could put the seed down. And that's like a dormant seeding. But otherwise, I would wait until spring uh, to to go ahead and, and seed the rest of it.
3: Okay. The other question is, we have bur oak blight confirmed by the plant pathology department at the university, and now, what can I expect if, with respect to spread from tree to tree? I know it's not like red oak which spreads through the roots, but uh, what about the bur oak and the blight? Yeah, that's a great question, Larry. And-
2: Really, you know, we, we don't know enough about burrow blight yet to really know how to treat it well. Unfortunately, we, have, we lost a big signature tree at the Arboretum to burrow blight, and we bent over backwards and did everything possible to try to save that tree, and unfortunately, it still died. Um, so, you know, we thought originally burrow blight was more like an anthracnose, it was not a really totally fatal disease, but now it seems like it can be, uh, or at least a contributor if other things are also affecting the tree, like too much water or um, other other problems. So at this point, I would say I would call an arborist and have an arborist come out and give you an evaluation of your tree, especially if it's a favorite tree or a big one. Uh, A lot of the estimates will not cost you anything, and you can get opinions about how to treat the tree. There are some chemical injections that are done for burr oaks, uh, for burr oak blight. Um, And at this point, I would get some recommendations from an arborist.
1: Very good. Listener says this, Mary, I have an avocado plant that gets random brown spots in the leaves as well as white powdery streaks on the leaves. What suggestions do you have
2: for that? Well, I guess I'd try to match up the look of your leaves to uh, the disease pictures on the extension.umn.edu website for houseplant diseases or houseplant problems. The white spots might be a scale insect um, and and if so, you can match up the pictures and see if they look like that. The random brown spots are, again, that might be a disease issue. Um, If your plant is growing well and it gets new leaves and new foliage, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. But I would try to match up the pictures with what uh, information you can find online. If you can't find anything, take a picture of your your symptoms on the plant and then mail that to Ask a Master Gardener. That's a resource on the website where they can diagnose and help you diagnose what's this plant or what's wrong with this plant through pictures. All right. Very good.
1: Let's take a quick break, Mary. We're back on the other side. I think Barbara's waiting on the phone to ask you a question. We have more text messages as well. Smart Garden will be back in a moment here on News Talk 830. WCCO. And welcome back to our Smart Garden show around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your text messages and phone calls. Uh, with lawn and garden type of questions, of course. Mary Meyer is in from the University of Minnesota this morning helping you out. And as I mentioned, Mary, uh, Barbara, I think, is calling in from St. Paul this morning with a question. Thanks for waiting, Barbara. What's your question?
2: Hi. Um, I've had amaryllis uh, plants in the past. And the one that I got this year, I got close to Christmas, and we're just finishing it. It's had 16 blooms. Is that normal? <laughs> Wow, that's fabulous. Good for you, Barbara. 16 blooms. Well, I would say that is high. <laughs> that's a high number. I assume you had more than one stalk. Usually there are um, three, four, maybe even five flowers on one stalk, but sometimes it will put up more than one stalk. But Congratulations. That is fabulous. If you know where that bulb came from, I would buy it from that location again. Um, There are certain sizes of bulbs. So the bigger the bulb, the more food, the more potential for bloom. So 16. I think that's a record for as far as I know. So congratulations.
1: (laughs) That's great. Mary. you're going to have to help me with this. Uh, the texter says, we sure love this is a type of grass. And I'm going to start spelling it. It's spelled H-A-K-O-N-E-C-H-L-O-A.
2: Yeah, Haconecloa. Okay. Grass.
1: <laughs> All right. The texter wants to know, can you speak to dividing and moving it in the time of year to do so?
2: I would do that in early spring, just as it's starting to grow. So you could see where the growing points are. So that's going to be in the middle or towards the end of May in our uh, weather conditions. Uh, Hakoni grass is not an easy plant to divide and increase. Um, it tends to have brittle roots and uh, a brittle stem system that, for propagation, but you can do it. It just tends to be a slow grower, but I would say uh, early spring is the best time.
1: Okay. Another listener says, I'm wintering a mandevilla and it. it has a ton of runners. May I cut them back or should I just let them be?
2: You can cut them back, and it's, it's a sign of a healthy plant, and it's actively growing. It might make your plant fuller and bushier. So, yes, you can go ahead and cut them back.
1: Oh, there's another text here. It's so interesting. I don't think we've ever had this before. Are any of our household or outdoor lights considered negative for plants? Hmm.
2: Any of the lights negative for plants. No, I don't think so. The only time a plant can be negative for a plant is if you extend the day length so long that it has no dark period. Sometimes we see this with street lights where uh, plants are affected by the amount of light. So an endless day is difficult for plants. Uh, they, they are used to having a cycle of day and night that's a regulator for them, and uh, that's the only thing I can think that would be negative.
1: Okay. This uh, listener would like to transplant a jade plant, of which uh, Texas says, I originally got a clipping off from a floor dropping, not in soil, and that was several years ago. I'm wondering how deep I would transplant that, and do I use the same type of soil that I had available that was for uh, arid or cactus type of soil plantings?
2: Yes, you should use the same type of soil. And as far as the planting depth, um, you want to keep it the same depth deep that it's growing now. So you don't really want to bury it or uh, put any more soil on top of the roots. They have adjusted there to the best oxygen level. So I would just try to plant it at the same depth that it's growing now.
1: This listener wants to know, can I grow the showy lady slipper at home? It's our state flower, and I've never seen it in the wild or cultivated.
2: Uh, well, that would be a real challenge. Uh, it, is, it is tough to grow a showy lady slipper in a traditional garden setting. Uh, these plants have a real relationship with the soil and fungal, fungal relationship with mycorrhiza in the soil. So it's hard to grow them outdoors. Um, So indoors uh, would be really, really tough. Um, that would, I would say that would be one of the most challenging plants you could try to grow indoors. Much easier to grow many of the other types of orchids that we, uh, find in garden centers that are house plants. So, um, I would suggest starting with something easier to grow indoors. The showy lady slipper is in uh, many of the wildflower gardens or at the Arboretum where you can see it. It only blooms for a short period of time, uh, usually about mid June, mid to late June. And uh, just mark your calendar to go to Eloise Butler Wildflower Garden or the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum and see them uh, for real in the wild.
1: Okay. This listener wants to know which native grasses are easiest to grow from seed. My area, they say, is a north sloping 50 by 150 feet.
2: Well, several of the native grasses like switchgrass, big and little blue bluestem, uh, Indian grass, those are all easy to propagate from seed. And I, you can buy seed fairly easily from the native plant nurseries. And uh, the northern exposure, um, most, most of these grasses like uh, more sun conditions, but they will still grow as long as they get uh, six, eight hours of sun um, in the day. And they're pretty easy to grow from seed. And uh, usually um, May or June, uh, early in the year, early in the growing season, is a good time to seed them. Okay.
1: This uh, listener wants to know, how often should houseplants be fertilized in the wintertime?
2: It depends a lot on what kind of houseplant it is and if it's actively growing. Some of my houseplants, I don't fertilize at all in the winter time. Others, like the citrus, uh, an orchid, anything that does have flowers on it or has a potential to flower, the Christmas cactus and so on, Those I fertilize every two to four weeks um, in the winter time. And we have great information on the website. Some of it that's been updated with the lighting uh, one that was there. I mentioned a new lighting one. There's also a new hydroponics Wow, this is, this is an interesting thing to grow lettuce and some greens indoors just in a water system. There's a great information on our website now about how to do this in a small scale. Um, but yes, it, check out the, um, website for specific information on houseplants and fertilizing.
1: Wow, that's great. That that sounds like fun. Uh, extension.umn.edu is the uh, site you want to check out. Mary, we have less than 60 seconds to go here. How about a quick answer with this text? Will an amaryllis ever bloom again if this year was only leaves? They are older and have been outside all summer as
2: well. Uh, probably not. Pro- if it's an older bulb that didn't bloom this year, no, I doubt it. Uh, It doesn't have enough stored energy in there to actually produce a bulb. I would get a new bulb, buy a new bulb, and start over with that. You know, we had Barbara who called who had 16 blooms. That's just a huge bulb with a lot of stored energy. So sometimes we can get them to re-bloom, and sometimes we can't.
1: That's the way it is. All right, Mary, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Let's, uh, Let's talk soon, Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Have a good week, Mary.
2: Thanks,
1: Denny. You also. Uh, Keep in mind, there's a winter weather advisory for the Twin Cities until 6 tomorrow morning. We'll have further details coming along here right after the news from CBS and CCO News and then the forecast. Get those home improvement questions ready for Andy Linda's next hour on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,